0: This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 616, and the quote of the day is, learn from everyone, copy from no one. Be inspired, but don't copy. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 616. And I got a great guest today, Mr. Quincy Davis. And Quincy is the assistant professor of drum set at the University of North Texas, where he took over for the famed drummer, Mr. Ed Sof. And I think that Quincy is the perfect person to take over for Ed, an accomplished drummer himself and someone who grew up in a musical family comes from a lineage of teachers. Both of his parents are are musicians as well. And we have a, a pretty wide-ranging conversation, not only about jazz, but also about listening and melody and how do you get particular things that you're practicing to work themselves into your playing? How do you learn from the greats without copying them lick for lick and note for note and just copying it and pasting it into your own playing? Uh, we cover just a lot of information, a lot of, a lot of practical and applicable information and tactical stuff that you can actually go and sit behind the drum set and do. And Quincy just has a very succinct way of explaining all of these things, and I'm just super excited that we got to sit down and have this conversation because I know you're going to learn a lot. I learned a lot. there was some unlocks for me in this conversation as well that kind of blew my mind. So I'm excited about it. You're going to learn a lot. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it with the man, Mr. Quincy Davis.
1: Quincy, what's going on, my man? Hey Nick. Everything's good. Can't complain. It's
0: uh it's always interesting when because we use sometimes we use video and sometimes we don't. So I always like seeing like what people got set up behind them. Right. So what it, what, what do you got back there? I don't uh, even talk I, here, but like the last couple it, the last couple uh,
1: episodes, people have had their drums like right the drums. behind them.
0: I'm like, oh what do you got back there?
1: <laughs> well, uh yeah, it's so I play Tama, uh those are Star Classic. Tama drums. Um, let's see, 18, 12, 14, 16. Um, and then uh, ride symbol uh, is a dry complex two, uh, which has been tinkered with a little bit, uh, Zildjian. And then the left hand symbol is actually a symbol that I had uh, Paul Francis copy from a symbol that I also own. Greg Hutchinson used to own and play through the '90s. Ah, uh, yeah, it's like the the symbol from the '90s that he he played. So, really,
0: I like yeah. how it's always interesting to hear stories of like, well, this is the ride symbol that so and so had, and I ended up with it, and then yeah. this, and that, or you know, or um, I was talking to Marcus Gilmore, and he's like, oh, I like this is Max's old symbol that like he had, and then it got passed to someone else, and then he ended back up with it. Right, (laughs) and was playing, and I forget who he was playing with, and they were like, "That sounds like Max's symbol." And he was like, "It is like I forget who. It may have been, it may have been Chick Corea that was like, Mm. that was like recognized the sound or something." That's funny. I'm probably telling the story a little bit wrong. I I think I got some of the facts wrong, but there is a story that that he ends up with the symbol that was Max's that someone else heard that, and then was like, "Man, that sounds like the symbol." And he was like, "Actually, it is this symbol."
1: Wow. You know, that's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking, as you were saying that, uh, there's a bunch of, you know, uh, you know, I used to live in New York for 10 years. And so Marcus and Kendrick and uh, who else? Rodney Green. And, you know, a lot of us kind of juggle symbols back and forth. And, uh, but I have a a funny story about Marcus is that he had me copy or no, no, no. He, he had two symbols made for him by Zildjian Mm -hmm. Uh, and he wanted me to kind of work on because I kind of tinkered with hammering symbols back then. Well, I gotcha. still do. And uh so he wanted me to hammer one of his symbols and they were identical symbols. Um mm-hmm. so I said, sure, I'll do it. But you know, disclaimer, I'm not a professional artisan or anything. So right. he's <laughs> like, man, don't worry about it. And then whichever one you like the the best, you keep it and then I'll I'll take the other one. I'm like, cool. Nice. Uh and this is before I was with Zildjian, so I I was grateful. Uh and so I hammered both cymbals and I took the one, uh, I chose the one that I liked, I preferred, which was lower pitched. And he liked the other one, which was higher pitched. Perfect. Everyone, everyone you know, everyone got out uh, happy. what they wanted. Yeah. Nice. So I took mine on, a, on the road on a gig, not really having ever really played it on a gig. And I got on the gig and it was horrible. I could not <laughs> play it. Why? I, it was just too low pitched, and su- right. I mean, super affecty, you know. Mm-hmm. But it was just too low pitched and completely different than what I was used to. And I thought, oh man, I messed up. And I actually Remembered liking the other symbol also. So I was thinking, damn, I should have got the other symbol. <laughs> and then somehow we we came back together. Or we, I called him and I said, "How's this symbol work?" He's like, "It's it's cool. I, I wish I had taken the other symbol." I said, "Really?" Uh, cause I wish I had taken the other, the, your symbol. So, so we got back together and we swapped. Nice.
0: That's perfect.
1: <laughs> we, we swapped. And <laughs> so fast forward about eight months down the road, down the line. And I'm at, we're, we're playing at the same festival and I hear him playing with VJ, and I'm way in the back mm-hmm. and he's playing I'm like, man, what is that symbol? And I knew instantly I said, I bet you that's that damn symbol because it was it was super lopsided looking. Right. Um, And I got up there and I knew it right away when I saw the shape. And I was like, oh, no, (laughs) because I mean, I guess I guess it goes to show that symbols sound very different when you're out front. Yeah. 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 And that's kind of become one of his signature symbols. Actually, in the last really ten years, yeah, you know. And people ask him, "Hey, man, can you? How'd you get that symbol? where you?" He's like, "Q uh, Q uh, hammered it for me," and you know. So then people come to me, and I'm like, "I I just got lucky with that symbol." <laughs> and I have the other symbols still, but it's it's so so. Right, it's not as right. killing as his. So
0: <laughs> that's a great story, though. Yeah, and you know, I realized when I was talking about Marcus, I think I said, uh, "I think I said Max Roach," but I meant Roy Haynes. Roy Haynes, yeah, yeah. yeah I think I said Max, right? Uh, and I'm sure that I would have gotten the emails about it, so I just want to correct myself now, right? Right. And, uh, let's get that out of the way.
1: I was wondering. Wow. Okay, yeah. Okay.
0: Well, feel you can call me out at any point of this conversation to be like, I don't think that's correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Because there may be more of these, right? <laughs> so, right. There may be there may be more uh, falsities that I'm that I'm uh, accidentally spreading around. Um, so, talk to me a little bit about growing up. I know that you grew up in a in a really musical family. Uh, started playing drums, you know, started taking lessons at six, and then uh, I'm interested to to know about that journey too, especially with with some people that you studied with. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was it like for you growing up? What was getting What was getting played in the house? And and was there an instant gravitation towards the drums did you did you think okay this is this is the thing that uh, that really speaks to me?
1: Yeah so I, I grew up uh, my, both of my parents are music educators. My mother uh, plays piano and uh, majored in uh, clarinet performance in college and plays flute um, uh, conducts the children's choir at church uh, at least at the time now she she doesn't she, now she just teaches piano lessons. Uh, and then my father is in the choral world, uh, vocal jazz, and also choral, as in classical, European classical music. Um, and he was the the chorus master for the Opera Grand Rapids for over thirty years. Mm. Um, but also was in the vocal jazz world, like, and it still is uh, pretty deep in that world. So uh, I grew up listening to a lot of classical music, a lot of gospel, a lot of um, R and B. Uh, obviously a lot of jazz um, Mm -hmm. and uh yeah and and then also just listening and hearing piano played a lot I took lessons with my I started on piano um Mm -hmm. when I was I don't even remember actually I was very young and uh and it was okay but I didn't necessarily gravitate to it towards it like my brother my brother's a professional jazz pianist and So I I grew up listening to him practicing. My sister uh, also played piano, but she was more in the visual arts. Um, Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so I started on piano, but I didn't gravitate towards it like my brother. And I hit a lot of things. I used to like to hit on pots and literally hit on pots and pans. Right. Uh, And so my parents uh, got me lessons, drum lessons, and I took to them. Um, They eventually bought me a snare drum um, and then a, a drum set. And I just. I went in, you know, full steam um, and I loved it. And uh, I guess so The, the it, there was a lot of influence of all these different styles of music um, from an early age. So even now, um, you know, in one day I might listen to Shostakovich and then listen to Miles and then, you know, listen to, um, you know, Eric Badu or whatever. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm all over the place. Right. Uh, But my my heart, I would say, my home base is jazz. You know, that's kind of how how, that's the filter through which I listen to pretty much everything. Mm. Um, Do you think that?
0: Do you think that starting on piano because it is a percussive instrument, because the you know everything's sort of laid out in black and white and you can see sort of what's going on? Do you think that that's do you think that's the easiest instrument to start on? I was at my buddy's house this weekend and he just bought a guitar and he's like. He's like, man, this thing's really hard to play. And I said, you know, that's why they they said a lot of people say that you should start on piano. I started on piano. I always felt like it was simple to, not simple in a a way
1: of like playing, but at least to visually see it. it. Do you feel that way? Yeah, maybe. You know, um, I hadn't thought about it like that, but I think there is something to the visual effect of seeing what you're playing, seeing the notes you're playing. Mm-hmm. Um so possibly and I I think that uh you know the idea of not having to play a lot of keys for the drums also kind of made me go in that direction I guess it was just right. I don't know it, it was uh I mean I play piano you know limited piano today um and I I sometimes take lessons with my mother still mm-hmm. but as far as um I don't know. There was something about the drums that just, it really spoke to me. It really yeah. spoke to me. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people who think that
0: help playing piano can help with your dexterity on the drums. And which is interesting now because like, I mean, I played piano for, I don't know, 10 years or nine years, something like that. And did recitals and all that kind of stuff. Now I can't play, I can play Mary had a little lamb and that's about it. Yeah. Um, But When I started playing drums, I felt like I was already able to sort of separate things out a little bit. Not that I had like ridiculous dexterity, but like my it sort of like made a little bit more sense in my brain. Mm. Um, I'm just curious if you've had any like correlation between piano and drums and thinking like how your brain works.
1: You know, does Mm. does piano help with drumming and vice versa? Or yeah, you know, I think less physically. Because when I get on piano, I feel unless I'm like if I'm comping, I feel very comfortable comping over tune or just sitting in and just comping because mm-hmm. it's more about rhythm, right? Um, but as far as like actual lines and like I work on it and it, but I I just find it so challenging and foreign to me because I'm using my fingers now as opposed yeah. to just using my hands, which mm-hmm. on drums That's we're, a, yeah. we're using our hands more than. I mean, we use our fingers, but not like individually. Know, exactly. Yeah. So I don't find that correlation as strong, but I do find the correlation with music on a whole, mm-hmm. uh, and also through the rhythm that I play on the piano. Right. Now, when I'm on the drums, I find the I, I hear, you know, harmony and songs uh, much very clearly because right. I, I ha- I'm attuned to the piano and the harmonies of piano. Mm-hmm yeah
0: yeah i think that hearing you know what being able to heal those harmonies and hear those melodies and things like that i think is a very important thing i remember when i when i went to college uh and i was playing marimba and and the professor was like you have to hear you know are you hearing the chord changes and you hear, and i'm like no i don't like i'm just not i wasn't there you know but then once yeah. i started to learn it i would notice like while i was but then i was while i was playing drums yeah you're like, oh, there's a chord change, or there, you know, right. like there's a melodic change going on here, or different, you know, different things are going on in the tune. And I think it just makes you a better
1: drummer. Absolutely. And even know? if, you know, even drummers who don't necessarily have have that experience of playing drum uh piano, um, they hear like Roy Haynes or or you know, all the greats. They all mm-hmm. hear harmony, they can hear the song form, they can hear um Kind of the emotions in harmony also, which doesn't get talked about a lot, but right. harmony has, you know, it kind of evokes certain feelings and emotions that we have to be able to capture when we're playing drums. And if we're not in tune with that and acutely attuned to that, then mm-hmm. it makes us less effective in in matching that intensity and feeling yeah. of the harmony.
0: What do you think about with teaching drums? A lot of times, like, it's it's just rhythm. We always talk about rhythm in mm. drums. It's like here's how you play this rhythm, and here's how you play this or this pattern. Why isn't there more teaching of harmony and melody, and like that's what that's what makes music? Do you see that there's there's not enough of that being being taught in in whether it be curriculum or in private lessons and things like that?
1: Yes, I, I totally think that. I think part of that is because many of the the teachers don't you know, don't feel comfortable, uh, with the, the kind of the broader sense of, of, I guess the idea of they don't feel comfortable with harmony or talking about harmony. They don't necessarily feel comfortable talking about melody because that's not their, their, that's not in their wheelhouse. Right. I think that's part of the problem, but also, um, you know, there's so much that we have to learn on the drums as drummers. Like, I was thinking about the other day, saxophone to horn players, they learn how to improvise. They learn how to play their instrument, and they learn how to improvise. They can apply that to everything. They it's, It doesn't change, regardless of the style. They're mm-hmm. going to still improvise in the same way. It's not like they have to learn a, a whole, totally different... Now, if they're doing classical, that's different, but it's, like, it's kind of like that, like classical saxophone and jazz saxophone. If you're improvising, then you get to just kind of do what you normally do right for us, depending on the style we have, we have to adjust. We have to know all these different grooves and styles and we can't improvise the same way if we're taking a solo on a, on a Afro-Cuban song compared to a, a bebop song. Right. And so I think part of that is, so there's so much that we have to do that we get tied down into that fact and we, often don't we ignore the the broader sense of what music is and dealing with melody and harmony uh, to really make us a kind of a well-rounded musicians. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the other problem. How do you suggest that, we'll say that again. Or reason, I should say. Right. How do you suggest that
0: people either either learn it or teach it um, if they want to go down the road of playing more melodically?
1: Yeah, I think that drummers hit a wall. You know, I I mm-hmm. teach at the University of North Texas, and wonderful drummers uh, students here, um, and they work hard. They're very serious, and I always notice they hit a wall. They hit that point where, wow, I you know, I I I talk about it all the time, but then it it really hits them that the drums are only going to take you so far. Right. They realize, crap, I got to really hear better i gotta hear harmony better i have to understand music as on a whole better um and so the things that i talk about right from the when they start with me is just being able to sing sing melodies i'm i'm a big uh uh proponent on singing singing Mm -hmm. singing everything you play um being able to just sing a song i feel like other countries if you talk to percussionists in other countries they can all sing, they can sing the songs, they can sing while they play, right you know, and I you know that's challenging that's that's a certain skill right there that you have to actually shed, but even if we remove the playing and the singing, if we separate them, can you sing a song in tune with good time, with a good feel, um giving it some style, not not singing it just in a perfunctory way, but just and not necessarily that you have to have an amazing voice, but can you s- sing in a way that sounds like you're actually hearing the music behind the melody? Mm-hmm. And if if you cannot, then for me, that that means that you're not really hearing music on, on a whole. And so I talk about and I have all the students singing from the first semester with me and it gets them out of their comfort zone. Um, and some of them are very good at it some of them are very bad at it Um, (laughs) and I've seen students improve, you know, Um, and it just kind of helps them think outside of just rhythm and beats and grooves and, you know, um, styles and language on the drums and Mm -hmm. gets them thinking out outside the box and just thinking about music on a broader sense. Yeah. I think that
0: every, every drummer that we all look at and we think and and, you know there's all everyone has sort of like their mount rushmore drummers or we all collectively can probably put 15 drummers into a category like these are the guys right and i this is totally anecdotal evidence and i'm just making all this up but i would imagine that the reason why we all feel that way about all those people is they played really melodically
1: exactly And I
0: like again. I could just like I could be totally wrong, but like when we look at all these drummers and they have that that X factor, or we we don't know why it feels and sounds so good, but it feels and sounds amazing.
1: I think it's melody. You know, uh, I interviewed Peter Erskine, and that was one thing he said. He said he he listened to the album that features uh, Max Roach. Sorry about the lawnmower. He just literally came. That's all right. um, It always happens. Yeah. Um, he was listening to when he was starting out, listening to the album Max Roach and and, uh, and Buddy Rich, the album that they did together, and um, and he basically listened to Buddy Rich, and he was of course wild, and said, "Wow, I I can't do that and <laughs> right. all this th- and then he heard Max Roach, and he said, "Wow, I think I can do that." And he said mm. the thing that really kind of stood out to him is that Max's playing was just more melodic. He could really hear mel- m- melody um, in a rhythmic sense. And mm. but that's he's one of his first big influences, Max Roach. And I think that's so true that our our favorite drummers, all of them, all the greats, they all think and are able to play in a way that sounds melodic and it mm-hmm. makes sense and it has very strong musical relevance you know to what's happening in the moment
0: yep i i i also think it's interesting that the people who we cite as our favorite drummers that by and large when someone's like oh my favorite drummer is max or my favorite drummer steve gatt or whoever it is and then they sit down and play and they don't play anything like them they don't sound anything like them exactly And, and they're like what is that what is that disconnect
1: right yeah, well, that's just individualism. There's a quote on my, um, I, I, w- I should, I don't have it here, but basically Tony Williams talking about when I started out, I, I tried to sound like uh, Max Roach, Art Blakey, Roy Haynes, um, Jimmy Cobb. He listed, you know, about six or seven drummers. Uh, and he said, that's just what we have to do to really get to our own voice. Um, mm-hmm. But But he said by the time, you know, when he was, he put it all together so quickly that by the time we started hearing him, he had already started developing his own sound. Right, um, and so he wasn't in that mode at seventeen of tri- still trying to sound like Max Roach. Um, to he-, he was still hearing it, but it came out as him. Mm-hmm. You know, when he recorded Seven Steps to Heaven at seventeen, it's like that sounds like nobody except for Tony Williams. Um, but I think that's just. One of the greatest imp- innovators of our time, yeah, and here he is who says, "Yeah, I studied all all of them, and I st- mm-hmm. tried to sound just like them. I think that's the blueprint, yeah, um, but if some some musicians stop at that point and are content just sounding like whoever they're trying to copy, and that's not it. That's yeah. not that's not it that's that's living or playing playing a lie." <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> you
1: know, actually, there was a there's a funny story of me uh, in college. Uh, I went to Western Michigan University. I'm from Michigan, uh, and uh, at this festival, Notre Dame Jazz Festival, we played it every year. Great festival, and I met so many incredible um, musicians who were kind of adjudicators: Carl Allen, Mel uh Jeff Hamilton, um, uh, Richard Davis, uh, Bunky Green. Like incredible incredible people a lot of who i am still you know i know today and friends with but um at the time i was so into greg hutchinson like i was that was it for me that was it his sound the way he played his fills everything and so um i was so into him we played our set and you know we i think we played we were were cooking like we were Mm -hmm. it was a quintet And we we killed it. I came off the stage and this other very good friend of mine now uh, and great drummer named Neil Smith. I don't know if you know him. No, I he's in New York. He teaches at Berkeley as well. Um, But he comes off. This is our first time meeting. He's like, oh, man, you sound great, man. And then the, the second thing he said was, you know who you sound like, right? And inside I'm thinking, please don't say Greg Hutchinson. (laughs) <laughs> and the reason is I was thinking that was is because I felt like, damn, he knows that I'm just faking it, <laughs> right? I'm right. just faking it. I'm trying to act like this is my, th- but he knew where he's like Greg Hutchinson. I said, oh gosh, that I don't know. It was a, it just kind of surprised me how it made me feel. It didn't feel great about it, right? And so I think from that point I realized, okay, I think I'm done with Greg. I think I can move on. Although. Mm. I, you know, you're never done with Greg Hutchinson. Right, right, right. But, um, as far as really trying to get his sound, I was, I had done it. You know, mm-hmm. so now let's move on. And so, I, um, I think that's kind of the mentality that I also has. Like, let's let's learn these cats, Jimmy Cobb and Carl Allen and Philly. Let's get their language, and then mm-hmm. let's get to your own thing. You know, yeah. The what I was saying earlier about
0: sound, listening to a lot of people, not sounding like them. You also, you also get the other side of it too, which I'm sure that you see a lot that are like, okay, who's your favorite drummers? And then they list like five groove drummers, right? And they're like, oh, I like Steve Gad, and Jeff Beccaro and, you know, Gadsden. And then they sit down and they're like, <"S-> and you're like, ah. <laughs> do you listen to those guys? Or are you just, or are you just saying that because. You're just
1: saying it because it sounds good because <laughs> <Yeah>. you're <laughs> supposed to say that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, who else is in there? <laughs> right. Okay, Billy Cobb. Okay, that makes okay, okay. sense. Okay, okay. Yeah. Eric Moore. Yeah. Okay. Now okay. I get it. There we go. <laughs> um that's true.
0: <laughs> uh when you when you go down the road of learning someone's style or or really starting to to interpret their language what's that process look like for you cuz we always talk you know study the greats study the greats study the greats what's that what's that process look for look like for you and how do you how do you uh you know teach others how to do that as well
1: yeah uh i think one of the things is that you have to like the people that you're trying to capture their styles uh you have to really be into them. You have to have listened to not just this album or this solo, but you have to listen to you know a library of of them playing with different people in different contexts um, so that's the first thing and and not because you have to do it, but because you want to do it and because you're into them um, That's the first thing, and I think that you know <laughs> your example of of Cass is just chopping out. But they then they cite groove drummers. There's a there's something that's not jiving there, and mm-hmm. I think as I said, sometimes we feel like we have to say Max Roach, we have to say James Gadson, we have to say certain people, um, because if you if you cite you know uh, uh, what's his name uh, Donati, you know if you cite all these mm-hmm. di- different gr- drummers, mm-hmm. then it's looked upon as oh you just want the chops, so right. then they feel bad and. But, um, if that's what you're into, be into that and and don't be ashamed of it, and it's what makes you who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the most important thing. A lot of students they they just I feel like I'm forcing them to, to check out certain people. I'm like man, have you can you can you appreciate the brilliance and the genius of their playing? Okay, maybe not yet. so let's find someone that is really um really captures you or really gets you excited to play and to make music. Um because that's what I did. So that's the mm-hmm. first thing. Who gets you really excited? And then the next thing is um, you know, Tony also talks about this. Tune your drums like them. One of my big my first influences was was Carl Allen. Mm-hmm. Um and I love Carl. Yeah, Carl's so great. And one thing that really made a difference was I, I tuned my drums like him. And it was the first time I, I really got into the sound of his bass, especially his bass drum on early albums in the 90s. I loved his bass drum sound. So uh, and also his ride cymbal. So I think that's another thing you can do is tune your drums like whoever you're, you're trying to transcribe so that then you're you're giving your chance yourself a chance to actually sonically sound like sound like them and produce the sound that they get, even though most mm-hmm. of it comes from their hands. Um, and then the other thing is just um, don't try to learn, you know, okay, I'm going to learn five Roy Haynes solos or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn, uh, you know, five, you know, whatever, track, five tracks that so-and-so played on. It's mm-hmm. probably not going to happen. Uh, and if you do it, it's it's going to be half-assed. It's not going to be that good. Right. Let's just take one solo. Let's just take one track and let that be your project for the next few months, four or five months. Let's focus on that. But don't just listen to that. Listen to other things, but you're focused on trying to get the language out of this specific solo or track because you, because you really are into it. You love everything he's playing on it uh, or she's playing on it. Um, And that's for me, that's what I did. I didn't, it was more about the quality and the um, how deep I could get into the, the vocabulary and language from a small you know a uh, s- small sampling of their playing rather right than taking so much of it and just trying to get it off nah, it's not as effective in my experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so that's that's kind of what i do and then i and then i create vocabulary you know roy Haynes' vocabulary these are things that he plays little f- four measure phrases uh greg hutchinson phrases uh james gasson you know grooves uh um You know, Steve Gadd, you know, solo or whatever you want to do, just. And I literally have a page of vocabulary from different people or from the same drummer. And I when I improvise, I try to stick to only that language and then try to memorize it. And then try to, you know, incorporate into my own playing Mm -hmm. and and then try to play it in different ways. Yeah. I think the the hardest part for a lot of
0: people, myself included, is like you learn something, you got it, you could do it in the practice. What do you do part. with it? Yeah, and how do you get it to play? How do you get it into your playing without playing and then saying, "Okay, now I'm going to put you know number thirty seven A from my book into this thing." And like, yeah. I actually think it may have been Greg Hutchinson who said it on the podcast, or yeah. I think it was Greg, where he was like, "You can't just go out and be and pasting." Right. He's like, that's what a lot of cats do. Copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. And it's like, if you take a sentence out of a book and you're writing an article and you just drop it in there, it's going to totally stick out because it's not your words. It's not the way that you write. It's like, it doesn't have the same style, the same cadence, all that kind of stuff. And, and I I think that we, we see that a lot where we're like groove, insert chop here or insert fill, and then go back to like my groove. So how do you how do you start to blur those lines to make it feel like it's starting part of your vocabulary now and not that you're just copying it from someone else?
1: Yeah, I think for me, and I think it's important to, to say this also. Everyone learns very differently, mm-hmm. um, and what you know what's effective for everyone is going to vary greatly. Like I know Greg doesn't write down things. I love writing writing. Down. I need to see it, um, but I don't limit it. To what I see, because I realize there's a lot of things that we can't quantify, uh, that y- you can't write down. So mm-hmm. um, that's one thing. I, I write everything down, and also I have a record for it if I want to refer to it. So I have things that I wrote down from 30 years ago, really. Right. Um, but uh, so that's the first thing. But for me, I have found that um, writing it down and and creating vocabulary of certain cats. Allows me to see what it is, um, and then I think, okay, once I really get it under, because the first you have to be able to play it like them. Like I want to be able to sound like them when Mm -hmm. I do it. You know, I have this um, a YouTube channel where, um, uh, where well, one of the kind of series is called trademark phrases, and um, I kind of demonstrate playing like Max Roach or playing like Roy Haynes, Elvin Jones. and I think that my my goal with all of those is to really just try to sound like them, even if what I play is not directly uh, exactly something they play, mm-hmm. but it sounds like them. And that's the most important thing. So um, you get to the sound through understanding what they play. Right. You know what I mean? So right. yep. for me, if I understand, OK, oh, he's just using a six stroke roll, or he's just oh, that's just a paradiddle. Well, that that paradiddle is a part of his sound. And I can now, uh, now that I know it's a paradiddle, I can kind of use it in different ways and it's going to kind of still have similar sound to that drummer, even if I play it in different ways. It's going to have a certain sound and feel.
0: Get ready for the new ProMark. Promark is reintroducing itself with two new performance pillars. Promark, the home of their rear-weighted, performance-driven rebound and finesse lines, and Promark Classic, a celebration of the timeless feel, look, and straight-ahead performance of Promark's golden era. It doesn't matter which pillar you choose because every pair of Promark sticks is perfected with Promatch. Only Promatch ensures unrivaled consistency of weight and pitch from stick to stick and pair to pair. Also, Promark shows its commitment to the environment with play, plant, preserve. Promark is planting trees with every pair of sticks sold. They've already planted approximately 600,000 trees back to the Tennessee soil, and they're not stopping there. When you play Promark, you're playing the only drumstick out there made from sustainably sourced and replanted wood in keeping with their vision for a net neutral future. For more information, visit Promark.com. So you've heard me talk about the Black Panther Design Lab series from Mapex. Let me tell you a little bit about the Artist series. So they have a couple different options, and one of them is the Warbird. This 12 by 5.5 snare is designed by Chris Adler, and it's an optimized version of the original Black Panther model with a unique 12-inch diameter and 100% walnut shell that delivers a dark, biting, and powerful sound. These snare drums are amazing. You can check this one out and more by going to mapexdrums.com. So you're saying, okay, how do I, how do I sound like these people? Even if I'm not, uh, even if I'm not playing exactly what they're playing, I'm trying to, I'm trying to sound like them, um, and then does it naturally start to just like while you're playing, are you are you saying, OK, I, I sort of want this particular sound and that's what you're pulling from? Or or do you that's just keep plan. or do you just keep working on it until you're playing one night and you're, oh, whoa, that thing just came out
1: and yeah. now it just becomes part of your repertoire? That's a great question. I think that you had to practice sounding like them. And I think you have to. So I'll give you a good example. Like Ed Blackwell is uh a, 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 a influence of mine that kind of affected how I move around the drums, mm-hmm. which is very, and his, you know, the way he moves around and the sound he gets as a result of the mm-hmm. concept that he applies around the drum uh, is very different. It's a different sound. Even though he's coming out of Max, he still mm-hmm. has a very kind of a linear um I don't know. A, a linear in a in a a way that involves the left hand in a much more active way than Max Roach, mm-hmm. um, and so it's there's like a a little snidbit thing that he does, like a little like I can kind of play, it. yeah, and all it is is just, on one hand you're going. And the other one, you're going, and together it sounds like, and if you start moving it around, and then you can switch it, uh, you can kind of switch it. So just th- from that alone, I said, "Damn, that is hip." You mm-hmm. know, this was a long time ago, but it made me really think about. Wow, what if I take that and move it around the drums um, and use it on the cymbals? And so now I'm, I'm dealing with, because I know what it looks like, I know what the sticking is, I know how to play it like him, but it's more about the sound now. Mm-hmm. I so then I'll live with that. I'll live with that sound and try to get the sound of what he's doing and improvise off of that sound um using that that sticking. So now I'm improvising and everything I'm playing is not is is not what I transcribed. Right. But, but it's getting the a similar sound as him. And so me living in that for mm-hmm. a, you know in the in the practice room if I do that for a week, couple of weeks, um when I get on a gig yeah, it, it starts to come out kind of naturally because at some point I try not to mm-hmm. force things, but you know we it's hard you know to say that it's just going to naturally come out especially right. if, if it's new that's not very practical um if if you're if you're youngish and you're still in the adolescent stage of development mm-hmm. so i think sometimes we do have to you know okay this next trade i'm going to try this thing right let see that's what happens me, that's just being honest you know right we right. like to say that i'm just going to drop my sticks and magic it's not going to happen most of the time. Mm-hmm. Now, I think yeah. that is, there's a difference from being an adolescent and developing your sound and then being at that stage where you've done all the work, you've studied different people, you've, and now you can just kind of play. And that's, for me, that's when you're starting to innovate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's, or innovate, or you're just starting to really tap into your own sound where all these different influences are just coming out at different times and you're not thinking about it. it's just a part of what you do now right so right. it takes a while though i would say
0: yeah and <laughs> like you said i think that there's there's still like we're always going to be the young kid who just learned a new lick right, right. exactly and so you're gonna sit down and be like all right let
1: me try to put this in <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then everyone looks at you and you go okay maybe that wasn't the right idea right <laughs> Yeah. And then, you know, and then I'm sure you've been there where you had okay, man, I've been working on this thing. It's time It's time to reveal it to the world. And then you, you do it and you bomb, you fail miserably. Yep. And the problem is that sometimes when you do that, you don't know how to get out of it because mm-hmm. you had, you, in the practice room, it worked out so perfectly. Suddenly you're stumbling where you didn't necessarily, where you hadn't stumbled before, and you don't know how to get back <laughs> from one in a smooth way without just you know sounding like yeah. crap so the true sign that you don't own it yet you don't <laughs> own it yet it's not yours <laughs> I do
0: remember uh just you know I don't even know what it was but I played some figure and it was it was like totally out of place loud it was boom but like I didn't have the dynamic control of it yet or any like I didn't own it and uh and the guitar player I was playing with he turns around and he goes just learn that one did you <laughs> exactly like, Exactly. Or, or something like or that's
1: a new one, huh? Or something like that. And I was like, oh man. I was like, sorry yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It happens though. But you it know, happens. certain certain gigs you can afford to get away with that, and if yeah, it, if it's a perform, it's like it's a real serious gig, or then you got to think twice about trying things that, like for me, if I if I don't um, if I haven't worked on it, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna. The chances of me going for stuff that I've never worked on. Um, not that I'm not going to play something that I've never played, but there, you know, when you 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 have something in mind that man, that would be killing if I could do that. Yeah, I'm not going to just try to do it because I'm I'm not that kind of I don't I don't have that confidence in my own playing, honestly. Yeah, I'm just going to go for something I've never played, even though I'm hearing it or I saw so and so do it. It might come out, it may it might not, and sometimes we get lucky, but I'm going to kind of stay in my wheelhouse right (laughs) you know i never knew
0: i never realized how fortunate i was i started a band when i was 18 i played in that band until i was 30 and it was my band Uh you know and like it was a it was a total sort of joint uh you know joint effort and everything but i never realized how much freedom i had inside of that band because we i could try stuff every night Uh it wouldn't matter one i wasn't gonna get fired right but like there was just a lot more. And then when I started doing like sideman work, I was like, Oh, I don't have as much like experimental freedom, freedom. Yeah. And I, I don't, I think I really grew as a player, but didn't even realize it at the time where I was like, man, I have so much more freedom here. And then you get into the other situation where you're working with a sideman or as a sideman. And then you're like, okay, now this is a whole other skill set that I have to learn. That's right. And I was like, you know, there was a lot of gigs where I would walk off stage and you know, the organ player would be like, yo, you need to like, you need to tighten it up a little bit, right? You know? Or I don't know what you think you're doing, but like, this ain't the time to like try all this stuff all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, totally different skill set. It's very, it's so true. It's true. It's so true. It takes a certain amount of discipline um, to to be a to be a good side man. It's like sometimes, a lot of times, we we don't get to tap into all the things that we have or we we practice. Right, um, and it's cool, and we had to be cool. We can't just force things that are not uh musically relevant mm-hmm. into situations, yeah, I agree. you'd mentioned earlier about
0: students that you have that mm-hmm. you feel like you're sort of that you're you may be you know like jamming someone down their throat that maybe they're not into or or maybe you didn't say it that way, but but you're forcing them to listen to things that they don't want to, and you say, okay, well, let's listen to who. You know, who you like and things like that. Yeah. I'm interested to hear. My take is that everyone should learn jazz at some, even if it's a very rudimental level, just mm-hmm. to understand it melodically, to understand, like, because everything stems from jazz. But there's a lot of people who are like, I don't really, I don't like jazz. Mm-hmm. I don't want I don't really li- like, I like listening to it once in a while. I don't really want to play it. I'm not going to go try to get jazz gigs. Do you think that? Do, I'm asking you this: Do you think that they should still learn jazz?
1: Mm. Um, that's a great question, and I would say, you know, it would be I would be hard. I think we would be hard pressed to find some some uh, you know genre or style of jazz that someone just would not like. Like it would be hard there's so many different styles, um, that I feel like like I, I'll give you an example. One of my students, I won't name names. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm just kind of I don't know if he's really into jazz. And mm-hmm. I can't you know, I can't be mad at that. That's just I don't know if he's really it even if he says he is. It just doesn't right. for me, when I'm, you know, into something, I go all in and I'm Excited about it, and I'm li- all those things, you know. I think, like most people, but anyway, um, so yeah, maybe he's not that into Max Roach, maybe he's not that into Lewis Nash, or maybe he's not that into so and so. and I get that, okay. You're not gonna, so I'm thinking, okay, let's, let's, what is what, how will he react if I put on, um, um, inner mounting flame, you know, my yeah. orchestra would be. Yeah. It's, it's like, and that's I mean that's like it's like heavy metal, almost. You know what I mean? It's, so it's like, and the, the, the it's like the earth,
0: earth. That's that's like life altering. That's you my know, take on it. That's my take on it. Anyway, that's what I'm ahead, saying.
1: Like, and if you don't like that, and it's it's not like that's straight ahead jazz, but there's so many components to that. That that's jazz. You know, there's it, they're the improvising the. Um, The skill set required to play that Mm -hmm. is is, is huge. So um, I think there's enough styles within the umbrella of jazz um, that I I would just kind of work to find what really speaks to them with, you know, with all these different styles. Uh, And if they still just don't find anything that they like, honestly, I, I would say, yeah, maybe this is not for you. And I would say stick to. Whatever you're doing, knowing that they're just going to be limited as far as how much they can really grow. Because historically, musicians from the 60s and 70s and the 80s, you know, all those drummers, they listen to jazz. I mean, we talk, you talk to any of the great drummers, regardless of genre, their favorite musicians or drummers are jazz drummers. Mm -hmm. They all, you know, they, they list Max, they list Tony, they list, um. Elvin, I mean, the list goes on, and so it behooves every drummer to check out the lineage of 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 drums and to understand kind of the history through understanding jazz. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. it's such an interesting point that I never even thought about
0: before. That there's so many different quote unquote versions of jazz right like when you yeah. i know when i was younger people were like when someone's like oh you need to listen to jazz it's like miles davis or john coltrane right, right. And you're like okay but then okay well if you listen if you like funk then go listen to like the headhunters right there You go, go listen to headhunters or if you'd like like you said if you want something heavier go listen to Mahavishnu, or you right. can go listen to coltrane or you can li- like there's so many if you like more groovy stuff okay go listen to some organ soul like go listen right. to Jimmy smith or jack mcduff or something like that and it's like You, if you laid all of those out and listened to all of them back to back, you're like, these are these don't even sound like the same music style. Thank you, thank you. That's and I've never even like you just kind of blew my mind with that whole concept (laughs) of like, oh, you don't like this? Well, taste this. You know, it's kind of like like the porridge with uh, what's the the nursery rhyme with the oh yeah that she tries all the porridges and it's like until you find the one that you like,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. Goldilocks, Goldilocks, (laughs) and you know, and and I think that. Sometimes you get into something to get into something else. Mm. You know, you get into something to get into something else. As in, like, okay, you oh man, in fact That's that's it for me. That that speaks. Uh Billy Oh my gosh. Billy Cobb. Oh, you yeah. like Billy Okay, check out, you know, check out specter Okay, check this out. Check this. Oh, did you know he played with Horse Silver? Oh, check this out. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, by the way, do and you know the that
0: Spectrum record is completely different? It's completely different.
1: Than, than any of the Mahavishnu stuff. Exactly. And it's so, all like a okay. movie and like, you know. Right. Like and you're, you know, so you just kind of trace it. And then you're, oh, well, Tony, you know, Tony, he comes out. Oh, have you checked that out? Check this Tony Williams. Up. Okay. Now it's mm-hmm. getting to, you know, earlier. To, and then you, so they could get to Jimmy Cobb and they check out, they check out the musicians or the drummers that. Their drummers, the drummers that they're into, check mm-hmm. out. I think there's, that's a thing too, that could that could be effective too, to just kind of trace the lineage of their influences. And that could kind of get them a little more into uh, understanding the history lo- a lot more than just, hey, check out Max Roach. Right. Let's check out right. other drummers who are influenced by Max Roach. Mm-hmm. And let's go backwards. Or, yeah. Is it back? Yeah, go backwards. Start present and go... Go to the past. Sometimes that's mm-hmm. effective too. Yeah.
0: And that's another great point too is just because you you might have heard Billy Cobham on a Maho Vishnu record and you say, yeah, I don't really like Billy Cobham. And then you're like, well, check this out. Oh, this is cool. Well, this is Billy Cobham too. Thank and you. And this is Billy Cobham. Or, or you can do it with any, Jeff Picaro. You can do it with you know, Steve Gadd or Steve Thank Jordan. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yes. Uh, they're a very interesting point. I think I remember Don Familaro talked about that too, where he's like, if you, you want to check out a drummer, you got to like, you got to listen to everything that they played. Like Steve Gadd didn't just play on Steely Dan records, you know, it's like, oh, he didn't. <laughs> I thought he just played on Asia or Asia, Yeah, Asia, Yeah. Asia. <laughs> you know, and it's like, look at you when you start to open that up and then you're like, and like you said so eloquently, like you get into something to get into something else. Mm, that's such right. a, such a valid point that, and yeah. you, and if you look back at the stuff that you listen to, I'm sure as I'm doing right now, like. Oh yeah, I got into this because of this. I started listening to this because of this.
1: Yep, that's right. That's right. Yep. And, I, sure. and I, so, I really try to use that model for students mm-hmm. when I notice they're not gravitating to a lot of the things that I'm I'm kind of pushing, in the, and uh, when they're not gravitating towards really understanding the tra- the tradition, which for me is, you know, without tradition, everything kind of feels light and has less, um, has less um. Uh, meaning you know there's less meaning to what we play if, if there, we don't have a strong historical connection to it
0: mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah well that makes sense man yeah. so i i gotta ask you about billy hart i know that you you studied with him he's one of my favorite drummers uh actually got to see him record a, a record of well 10 years ago now but um what are some of the things that you that you really learned from him and and how important was he in in your overall development?
1: Mm. Uh, my first lesson, he, uh, you know, I thought I knew something. I knew I thought I knew jazz a little bit, and <laughs> <laughs> he tells me, "Sit down, hey, okay. I want you to play um, a rhythm change, rhythm changes form, two a sections on this symbol." The bridge on this symbol, and then the last A on this this symbol. I said, "Oh, that's, okay, I can do that." I... Oh, and he said, "Don't break, don't break the ride symbol, <laughs> uh, beat." And we didn't even get ten seconds into it, and I I messed it up already. <laughs> and basically, it showed me that I. I didn't really know as much as I thought I knew, mm-hmm. and and uh, it kind of it instantly humbled me. Not that I had a big ego, but it made me realize, damn, I'm trying to you know add this and that, and I can't even stick to this basic, you yeah. know, parameter that he's given me. Yep. Okay. So that was the first lesson, and he you know he made me, he let me know that yeah that sucked that wasn't it. <laughs> and he, and we did it till I got it right but um and so i think the biggest lessons that i got from billy is understanding the history mm-hmm. where things come from why we do what we do who did it who inno- who are the innovators who's innovating right now like he's completely so into all of that like You know, I'll call him up now and, man, I heard such and such. Uh, Do you know, can you find out if, like, he's always asking me to research things and get get back to him. Yes. He needs to know how, man, what was he playing? How did he, you know, he's really trying to learn. He's always in learning mode, you know. Right. Even when we were doing lessons. um, And he's 80 now, right? Yeah. yeah. He's 80, 81, something like that. Yeah. Yeah and 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 he's just um so for me that's what made me want to learn more about music and try to de- delve deep because he was asking me and, and the other students to do that to re- really research where this came from why um how did they do that can you write that out and and send it to me you know and so that's that's the first thing and i mean tracing it back it's not limited to just, you know, New Orleans, like we're trying mm-hmm. to go. And that was the other thing, like really understanding how rhythms, styles, genres came mm-hmm. together in New Orleans. Um, that, the other first thing they did was he drew a Y. And so why everything and, and at the middle. Of the, so <laughs> if I can do it, like here's a Y and here's one. Uh, I should, here's a Y and then one arm and then the other arm. And the mm-hmm. point in the middle is New Orleans. Everything below it is, you know, Cuba, Africa, uh, uh, West Indies islands, Brazil, da 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 these kinds of rhythms, all Africanized rhythms, right. that, that came to New Orleans, and then from that point, it kind of pro- proliferated in, into eighth note, you know, style music, mm-hmm. and then and then swing or or tripletized music. And hmm. how that, and, you know, kind of the further away you get from that, that center, the more into specific, you know, more into that genre or that, that sound you get. Right. right? The straight eight sound, the, the triplet sound. Um, but our, our lessons were based on that and understanding this part as well as this, this part. This is probably a dumb question, but was that
0: his, that was his sort of theory and his, and, that was not what I'm saying it. it's. Yeah. I'm like, uh, is this like a, is this a well-known thing that I'm just, that I'm just, you know, ignorant to, and I don't know anything about, but so this is like, so this is this whole, this whole why thing. Cause like, we're obviously on a podcast, so it's, it's hard to see visually and you and I can see each other, but like, okay, I can picture it. It's like, okay, the why goes up. That's all the, that's all prior to New Orleans. New Orleans is the dot in the middle. 1900,
1: around 1900. And then it splits off to the left and to the right at the Y. That's right. That's right. Yeah, gotcha. and uh, you know, so that was like, oh, and you know, researching where, why, how, when, mm-hmm. who, all those things. Um, and I think also the other thing is just uh, I was a swinger, you know. That's all I did. Just right, right. <laughs> used to say, man, this this guy he features the groove, and I was honored that he said that. But it also I thought, you know, seeing him play and being around him it also opened my my head, my ears, mm-hmm. not being limited to just having one way of doing it. Um, and uh, that was a, that's also a very big influence. Like I remember him talking about playing with Joao Giberto and um, playing. Um, he said, sometimes you have to just, you can't be stuck into one way of doing things. He said, I remember being on many gigs with, with Joao and he's playing the brush on his leg. You know, Hmm. playing a bossa nova on his, and he's barely playing. It's just just enough to be felt. And that's he said. That's all the music required. Or sometimes I'll, you you can swing with mallets. You know, you can swing just as hard as Sam Woodyard, but using mallets. Or it's not. He said, the more accurate you play your rhythms, the more it will it will project. And that, that's always stuck with me. Like as long as we're accurate with what we're what the rhythm is, what the groove is, we don't have to play it loud. It's going to project, and it's gonna be felt. Mm-hmm. So that's another kind of lifelong lesson that I learned from like, you know, I keep in mind through everything i do
0: if If someone is new to
1: checking out Billy Hart, where would you suggest they start? Uh, I would say. I mean, his he has an album called Oceans of Time, um, and he has another album called A- The A- Amethysts. Amethysts? I can't spell it. I know you're going to ask me. <laughs> I can't spell it. Um, A-M-E-T-H-Y-S-T? Yes. I think that's it. it For the, not- the record, that was Google, not Nick. That was Google. <laughs> <laughs> um. Let's see. I also um there's an album called there's so many, but um there's a great album by Tom Harrell. Uh who actually so I played with Tom Harrell for about three and a half years and Billy played with him before me and he recorded with him, So this was an album that I used to listen to a lot. Um uh it's called Labyrinth. I think The Labyrinth or Labyrinth. Uh so that's one album I love. Uh there's another album. Um Sunday in New York, Shirley Horn. He's kind of responsible for getting Shirley Horn back kind of on the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the album Live at the Village Vanguard, Joel, Joel Lovano. Um, it's a double CD. Um, the other side is pretty good, too, with Christian McBride and <laughs> Lewis Nash. Um, <laughs> but the side with Billy is incredible. Um and then all of his albums his newer albums with his group with Mark Turner and Ethan Iverson um mm-hmm. and uh who am I missing? Uh Mark Turner, Ethan Iverson and uh oh, Ben Street. Okay. Uh so great, just so great. Um and then there's a new album um uh that he's come out with. It's actually Aaron Parks' album and i always forget the name let me just look it up really quick such a, an amazing album um it's called uh oh yeah it's called find the way find the way yes nice In- incredible incredible album really uh b- the billy hart album i was talking one of them is all all our reasons mm. that's It's incredible. That's another incredible album.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So question about, about students coming in to UNT, what are, what are the most common sort of deficiencies or, or uh, sort of mislearnings or, or obstacles that you feel like you're seeing most of them
1: have coming into the, uh, coming into the college? uh nick they they don't they don't listen like I used to listen, like my generation mm-hmm. um, and and you know uh I mean, there's a bunch of generations between me and my students now at this point, so uh my generation and and a few generations after we we just listened a lot more mm-hmm. uh, and we knew that we really knew the music, we knew albums uh we knew artists. We need the musicians on the albums. We know songs, standards. Mm-hmm. They don't know standards. They don't know any standards. Um, and so those are kind of the biggest things. And um, uh, I try to kind of trick them into learning standards. And I, <laughs> and I think I need to trick them a little harder because they just need to know more standards. Um, right. I, I make them only learn, I don't know, not enough, maybe six standards a semester that's not a right. lot that's not mm-hmm. a lot so i made up that i i think i i saw that ralph peterson made his students learn maybe 20 or 30 standards a semester i i can't remember but i was like oh okay yeah. so i need to ask them to to learn more today. to learn more yeah yeah um yeah they don't know albums like like you know like i would expect them to and so again i have to just try to trick them into learning and and knowing certain albums you know, there's just so many iconic albums that I'll mention. Like one of the most recent this semester, this happened this semester, and it never fails. There's always a moment where I'm like, "Wow, this is a problem." Um, a student, a very good drummer, and this is not a knock on who you know how good they could play, but right. it just kind of really spoke to me. Uh, I was mentioning Tony. We were talking about Tony Williams. This happened to several students. Uh, cause we were working on a certain concept and this album really reflected that. I said, so yeah, it's, it's kind of like, you know what he does on Nefertiti and I get this kind of look and they're kind of just like shaking their head, but hmm. I can tell, wait, you you know, Nefertiti, right? Uh, I, I think I've heard of it I, and it really made me realize I can't assume that they know any of the iconic albums anymore. Right.
0: And this is a jazz program too, right? That they're in. It's not like you walked into like the rock class and you're like, hey, we're going to talk about Nefertiti. Like this is the jazz program. Yeah. This is the
1: jazz program. And I get that, you know, we learn about, like I still learn about albums uh, today. Sometimes I'll text my my good buddy, uh bass player, David Wong. To I'll say, man, how did you not let me know about this album? Because he's like, <laughs> I call him the jazz, the jazz soldier. He knows all the great... Uh, but so there's still albums that you're gonna just dis- you discover as you get older that you mm-hmm. you feel like you should have known. But there are certain albums <laughs> that, you that just, you're like you just gotta know. You gotta know these albums, and it's just not common common knowledge anymore, right? Um, and I can't assume that. So, and I think part of that is just how we listen to to music, including how I do now. Mm-hmm. It's just not as in detail as uh, and and in depth as it used to be. Right. Well, so, when you and
0: I were younger, we would get one CD or one record or whatever, maybe a month, you know, and you would put it on and you would listen to it over and over and over and over and over, and over again. Now it's just like one song, skip skip go to the next one, go to the next one. It's and it's like, and we're not paying. For, I mean, like if you have the free, even, you know, even if you're paying for Spotify or Pandora or something, it's 12 bucks a month, which was the cost of one CD, Right and now you pay it and you have access to every single record pretty much ever made, (laughs) ever made, you know? And there's no like, that's, that's for me. And I, like you said, how, how you listen to music. That's how I listen to music now too. I don't get, I don't get records anymore and put it on and listen to it from top to bottom. And, you know, over and over and over again, I just, yeah, I don't, you know, normally I'll put that record into a shuffle, right? Right. And then I'll shuffle everything. So I might hear, a song on a record once every month. Right. You
1: know, versus it, like it, nine times a day. <laughs> exactly. And it, 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 you, we have to make, uh, like I make playlists as well. And my December playlist, you know, it was my goal to make a, a December playlist. Okay. This is all I'm going to listen to January playlist. This is all I'm going to listen to. Well, uh, that December playlist has grown because I didn't listen like I should have to everything on that on that playlist, and I mm-hmm. veer off of it. So right. now I just find myself adding to the December playlist because I didn't listen to those albums, but I still want to add some. So now my December playlist, quote unquote, <laughs> is December, January, February, March, April, May. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous. Come on. Yeah. Yep. But we have to, uh, at the same time, like I tried to make a concerted effort to just listen to... Certain, uh you know, albums that like I, I make a concerted album uh, effort to listen to specific albums for a specific reason. Um, right. And and listen to the at least for a week or so. That's yeah. that's kind of my that's why that's how I tried it. But I'm a lot of times unsuccessful. So right. it's harder. I get it. It's harder yeah. these days to to know what to listen to and to to really just kind of lean into just listening to a couple, three or four albums.
0: Yeah. You know? I mean, I, there was a, I, I talk about it a lot, but there was a Roots record. Uh, there's a song on there called The Web 2.0. It's seven minutes and it's just Black Thought freestyling the whole time. Ooh. No verse. I mean, no, you know, no chorus. No, no, it's just him freestyling. And I can recite it word for word, literally every single word. Right. right. So
1: the, what, is, what is it called again? The Web 2.0 other I the roots. add it to my playlist there, yeah, there you go,
0: <laughs> to your December playlist, yeah, yeah, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, there's no because that record came out in know, uh, ninety nine maybe mm-hmm. two thousand something like that, which album uh, was it? um uh the tipping point, uh-huh. uh-huh, and uh, but I'm thinking about it, like there's no way that I would be able to do that now just because I don't. I don't listen to. I, I literally had that CD in my car for a year, and every time I got my car, the it, the CD would just play, and that was it. And I was like, "We're. I'm just listening to this. This <laughs> is it. it for the next year." <laughs> right. So, um, but it's just now. I it, it it is so much harder now to intently listen to music and say, "Okay, I I need to like put blinders on." You do and only listen to. Like you said, like you, I think you got a smart approach. Like, here's my playlist. This is what I'm going to listen to. Cause 20 years ago, we didn't have just unlimited music at our
1: fingertips. Uh, You remember when the, the, uh, what is it called? The the six discs changer or whatever it was called, you know, when that came was like, wow, we can listen to six CDs in rotation yep. this is and if you heard. had it in your car sometimes
0: it was in the trunk
1: yeah it's very so right. like i'm not changing my cds <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> but then when it went in dash then it was like but if you i don't know how you were but i had a six disc changer and most of the time i would only listen to like one record one mm. cd that was in there or maybe two but i was mm-hmm. never like just, just constantly jumping through all of them
1: yeah i guess i guess that's true. You you wouldn't listen to one song from this CD and then just go to another. You go would to listen the to the whole CD, and yeah. then it'd, and then it switch. Yeah, but uh, yeah that. But that you know. But now we have a, uh, twenty twenty billion, disc CD changers. like, what do we listen to now? But I think it's a real. It's definitely a shift in how we consume music, and um, and it would be silly for us to try to for teachers to try to teach in the same way that um, teachers taught 30, even 20 years ago, 30 years ago, because the consumption of the art um, is definitely different. We have to adjust it. And we have to, as I say, we got to kind of bamboozle and trick students into actually making sure that they're getting and they're learning and listening to the right things uh, to really kind of develop them as a a well-rounded and studied musician mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense yeah. oh just to clear, just to go back the roots
0: the song is called web not web 2.0 i was thinking of the seed 2.0 i don't know why but okay. it, the song the song is called web it's all things fall apart
1: mm-hmm. oh so, okay okay got it
0: it's just quest playing playing you know it's just drums and and uh black thought freestyle so Ooh. it's good it's good so yeah uh, um So where can people, where can people go to keep an eye on what you got going on? And, and uh, you know, when shows come back online, we can, we can start, uh, go seeing some live music. Hmm. Uh,
1: well, so my website is Quincy Davis com Um, and I list things there. Um, I have a, um, a YouTube channel where I kind of post a lot of videos and video lessons. um, Uh, jazz drummer q-tip of the week Um, and that kind of keeps me busy Um, and let's see I'm on Instagram QD jazz uh, and also any students you know high schoolers interested in the program the University of North Texas feel free to contact me um, through the University of North Texas website or through my website if you have any questions Um, I also I'm teaching this summer. I wasn't really open for business as far as teaching lessons during the school year cuz mm-hmm. I got a lot of students I teach at school yeah. so. But now for the summer, uh, I'm especially since I'm not traveling, I'm, I'm open and available for, for uh, lessons, so.
0: Nice. Nice. Yeah. Quick quick question about the program. What are the stipulations if someone wants to get into the program? Uh, what do you mean
1: stipulations?
0: I, if, I mean like I mean to get accepted to into the music school? Well, Um, uh, aside from like, you know, GPA and and all of that, what is the, is there any Mm -hmm. other specific to audition? How does that work?
1: Yeah. Uh, So you have to be able to obviously play the drums, uh, but also play percussion, uh, uh, some mallet, some mallet experience, uh, keyboard, you know, mallet instrument. And also you have to also audition on snare drum. So you audition on snare drum, uh, keyboard, percussion and drum set three three separate auditions um and then a basic understanding of of theory so those are the main kind of criteria um uh, what was your, you had another
0: uh, i think that i was just asking what the what you look for for people to get because i know yeah. that when i was in high school i was like oh i might go to berkeley i might go to unt you and, and you know what? why i never applied to any of those i was totally intimidated because i was like these are the these are the greatest music schools and everything. And I was like, there's no way that I could ever right. make it. You know? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know, I think uh, these days students should feel slightly empowered from the fact that um, they, can, they have a lot at their fingertips. Just mm-hmm. even before even talking to anybody from the program, you can see what, what goes on there. You can get in touch with, you know, students from the program on inst- on social media very easily and ask questions about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that way, when you go to an audition, you should, you know, you should know a lot about the program. Um, and then also uh, students are able to reach out to the professors and take, you know, I offer free lessons to students interested in the program. Um, that should give you give students an idea of how I teach and then. Mm-hmm. They're able to ask any questions about the program, um, so I, I think because it's so easy to reach out and to kind of be in communication mm-hmm. um, and see what the program is. I think in that way, it should take that mystique away. We definitely don't want students not to audition because it's UNT and you know blah blah right. blah blah. blah. Right. Uh, because I think as I felt when I came here for my interview, it's completely not like like what we most people kind of imagine as UNT. Um, right. Everyone's so down to earth, humble, friendly, no egos, uh, and mm-hmm. it's just hungry to learn and and play with uh other students and peers and get better and eventually lead a a career in in music, but yeah. It's a it's a very good vibe. Even though it's a it's a large school, it's a small small family vibe down here, so. Mm-hmm. That's And you took over for Ed, right? I did. Yeah, I did. Big shoes to fill. Huge shoes. Yeah, man. Huge. Ed is incredible, and uh, he he's still in town and playing gigs. When we go back to gigs before the right. pandemic, he was playing a lot and practicing. He's enjoying being retired. Um, we talk uh, here and there. He was very helpful with that transition of me taking over, and very supportive, and still is very supportive. And it's amazing. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. But he's he's incredible that's awesome man well I'm excited for you and I'm excited to see where
0: where you take the program as well so I appreciate that I yeah. appreciate that and I appreciate you taking the time to come on here to chat for for uh sharing all this wisdom and and uh I'm hoping that you know we can see each other in person at some point and you know see a gig or so. see a gig or two or something like that but in the meantime man stay well keep doing what you're doing and again I appreciate you coming on
1: I appreciate it, Nick. I mean, it's an honor to, to kind of be in the company of so many incredible people that you in, interviewed on your uh, podcast. So, Well, you fit right in, my man. I appreciate that. Keep, <laughs> keep doing what you're doing as well. I man. will. I will. I will not stop. I appreciate you, man. I will talk to you soon and okay. uh, be well. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: there you have it the one and only mr quincy davis you can check out the show notes by going to drummersresourcecom forward slash session 616 and also check him out you can go to quincy to get on his website and follow him on instagram and and all that fun stuff check out his youtube channel because he's always posting great videos on there as well and other than that that's all i got so until the next podcast keep drumming thank you so much for listening and i'll be talking to you soon peace Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me, edited by Justin Thomas, video editing by Tomas Shannon, and graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.